Interesting verse here. There was also Benaiah. Benaiah was a bad man. He was a valiant warrior from Kabzeel. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. All right, he was a soldier. But watch this right here. Another time, on a snowy day, he chased, down, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. He chased the lion into the pit. This was a bad man. Father, I thank you for your presence that's here today. I thank you that we get to come and worship you. We get to know you. We get to understand more about who you are. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. And somehow you would unlock things in our hearts and in our minds that inspire us to be everything that you've called us to be, you designed us to be, and you dreamt that we would be. Lord, speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you imagine this, this scene? Benaiah, I, and, and the Bible doesn't give us a, a lot of context we don't know, all we know is it was daytime and it was snowy. So, so just put yourself here. You're walking down the road, you're, you're walking through the, the pasture, wherever he was. It's snowing, you can kind of barely see. And suddenly out of the corner of your eye, you see a flicker of movement. You see something just slip by. And you look to yourself and, 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 the, and, and all of your senses are heightened and alert and you see it's a 500-pound lion, and that lion is stalking you. We, we in, in our creation that God made us, we have what you know as fight or flight, and where we have to decide in just a minute's notice, a moment's notice, are we going to fight or are we going to run? Many animals have one or the other. We actually have both. We can, we, can, we can either run or we can fight. And often it's made in just a split second. And I'm going to tell you, when you see a lion, and you don't have a gun, and you don't have any of that. You, you have a knife. We don't know if he had a knife or a spear, what he had, but he had a hand-to-hand weapon. Your flight system is going to want to kick in. When I was, um, I mean, you got to understand, uh, lions, you know, they're up 500 pound lions and they, they can jump 36 feet in, or 30 feet in one jump. They run 36 miles an hour. I don't run that fast or jump that far and I definitely don't weigh that much. These are killing machines. <clears throat> and, and he runs at him. This is, this is counterintuitive to, for me. He should have been running the other way, but he runs at the lion. When I was 14 years old, I was deer hunting in, in uh, Lano, Texas, and I was hunting in this blind, and I shot a, a doe, and, and she was laying down there, and I was still hunting while I was waiting on my ride to come pick me up, and this massive mountain lion comes walking through. At the time, I didn't rec- recognize how rare of a situation this was and how much of a trophy killing a mountain lion is. All I could think was, that lion is going to try to steal my deer that I just shot. So I have this brilliant idea 
I'm going to get out of the blind and go sit down on a rock next to my deer and I'm going to guard this deer. Now understand, there were still 20 deer underneath the feeder. I could have shot another one. But no, I'm going to guard my kill. <laughs> so I did. I climbed down the big tower blind. I climbed all the way down. I walked down there about 100 yards and I'm sitting on a rock. And I'm sitting there and there's a ravine just to my right and there's trees everywhere. And I've got my rifle. I don't know what I was going to do with it if this lion attacked me, but I had my rifle. And all of a sudden, the reality of the decision I made began to hit me. And I, I looked around, and the hair on the back of my neck stood up. And I thought, Randon, you are a complete idiot right now. He can have the deer. You're getting back in blind. And so I, did the, I, I stood up acting like I was really calm because you know so many people were looking I was out there by myself and I did the whole like like I'm trying to walk but you start to run but you're not going to run because you're not going to act like you're afraid so you like do the like fast walk thing where you're kind of you know like live and I got up in the top of that blind and when I got there my heart was racing I, I was sweating down it was 30 degrees outside I am sweated down and in my mind I'm going you're an idiot why because that lion could have leapt out of the woods and I would have been toast all to protect a deer Benaiah though Benaiah didn't have a gun and he didn't go back to the deer stand Benaiah did what I was unwilling to do he chased the lion the lion jumps into a pit and can you just imagine with me Benaiah is looking over the edge of the pit and he sees these two eyes glaring, glaring back at him and he has a decision to make. He's there. I can get away safely or I can attack. And he grabbed whatever weapon he had and he leaps off the side of that thing. And, and can, this is a made for TV moment, isn't it? Like, could you see this sitting in a movie theater and you've got popcorn and your eyes are really big and you're like, just run, Benaiah, just run. You don't have to do it. No. What does he do? He leaps over the side and the music is building. Can you hear it? And, and it's just it's crashing. And you hear a lion screaming and you hear a man yell, yelling and you hear, and all of a sudden you see blood flying up everywhere and your popcorn shoots all over yourself. And, and then all of a sudden... You see movement, and every person in the audience is waiting on bated breath. And you see that hand reach up. And you see another hand reach up. And you see Benaiah come, and he reaches back, and he is dragging a 500-pound lion out. And he's bloody, and he's scratched up, but he's got a lion by the mane. Whew. Roll credits. <laughs> What, what a moment that must have been in Benaiah's life. Why he decided to chase the lion, I really don't know. I don't know if it was courage or if he was just crazy. I, I don't know if he was hungry or if he was responding to a dare. I don't know if he was in trying to impress a woman or what in the world was going through his mind. But here's what I know. That one act of courage changed the trajectory of his life. Here's what, here's what happened. He is listed, this story is listed in, uh, as, as David recounts his mighty men. And this young man, Benaiah, first of all, went on to be the king's bodyguard. Now, I don't know what good 
killing a lion would do on your resume, but if you're trying to be the bodyguard of a king, specifically a warring king who went to battle with his men, killing a lion, going into a pit with a lion looks pretty good. Wouldn't you agree? But it doesn't just end there because he exceeded his expectations and Benaiah went all the way up through the ranks, didn't just stop at being the bodyguard of the king, but he became the commander-in-chief of the entire armies of Israel. There was no one that was more powerful in the kingdom of Israel outside of Benaiah than the king himself. But it all started with an act of courage. The lion chaser became one of the most powerful men in the kingdom. And you know, the same is true for you and I. You are one idea, one risk, one decision away from a totally different life. It probably would be the toughest decision that you've ever had to make, the scariest risk that you've ever had to take. But here's what I want you to know. If your dream doesn't scare you, then your dream is too small. If your dream doesn't scare you a little bit, if your dream doesn't require a complete reliance upon God, then your dream is too small. Pastor Mark Betterson wrote this, In every dream journey, there comes a moment when you have to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. How are you living? I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to live a good, quiet life. I don't want to cause any trouble, don't want to be any trouble, don't want to, get, don't want to take too many risks, and I just want to get to heaven. Like my goal is just to get to heaven. You, you have to go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. Many of us spending, spend our lives running away from things that we're scared of, and we forfeit our dreams on the altar of fear. I could be wrong, but I'd venture to guess that most every person in this room believes in God. Uh, but many of us don't live like it. You see, what we do is we let our circumstances get in between us and God. Rather than letting God get in between us and our circumstances. We let, we let our, our problems and the people saying you can't reach your dreams and you can't be this and you can't do that. We let them get in between us and God. We let their voice be louder than the voice of God. And God's trying to speak to us. But the problem is God often speaks in a still small voice and we can't hear him over the roar of the people telling us that we can't do it. And so we have to figure out in our life how to move our circumstances out of the way, how to move our, our enemies out of the way, and get God in between us and everything else so that we can hear Him when He speaks. When you get to heaven, there's, there's just one measuring stick. God's not going to say to you, uh, well said, faithful servant, or well thought, faithful servant, well planned out, faithful servant. No, the Bible teaches that we're going to get there and he's going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. It's about what we do, not just what we think about. It's about what we do, not just the ideas that we have. It's about what we do, not just the plans that we lay out. It's about what we do. Faithfulness is not holding down the fort. Faithfulness is chasing the lion. 
It's accomplishing something with the gifts and the talents and the dreams that, that God has given you. It's doing something great for the kingdom of God, and it's doing something great for your life and your family. God honors big dreams because big dreams honor God. You're just staring at me this morning, but that's okay. You know, the Wright brothers, who were some of the first to fly, the, uh, Orville Wright was very sick. He was, he was in basically a coma for about 30 days. He was, uh, he was laid up in bed and uh, unconscious for about 30 days. And while he was there, his brother read to him every day. And it's in those moments that they became infatuated with the idea of human flight. As a matter of fact, they, they wrote and to, sent word to the Smithsonian Library and asked for every book they had on human flight. There wasn't very many, but they found one from a French farmer, a nobody, and they, they, they sent it to them. And as they began to read it, here's what they said of the book. They said that this French farmer was like a prophet crying in the wilderness, exhorting the, the world to repent of its unbelief in the possibility of human flight. I want you to think about that statement for a moment. He, he was a prophet telling the world, repent of your unbelief in the possibility. I'm convinced of this. The size of our dreams may very well be the most accurate measure of the size of the God you believe you serve. If you're dreaming small dreams, it's because you don't believe you have a God big enough to do big things in your life. So the size of your dream is in correlation to the size of your God. I believe in a big God, a great God, but not just a big God for you, a big God for me. And so I have big dreams because I believe God designed me that way. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says this in the New International Version. Now to him, this being God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. If you can think it up, if you can dream it up, if you can use your God-given imagination, he's bigger than all of that. So here's how big God is. Here's how big God is. They used to say of Deion Sanders, I don't even remember Deion Sanders. They used to say of Deion Sanders, he was the fastest man in the NFL. And the reason they asked him, how fast are you, Deion? He said, I'm as fast as I need to be. I'm faster than whoever I'm facing. I'm just, just fast, just a little faster than the guy I'm defending. Here's the thing. God, whatever you can imagine, he said, I'm bigger than that. So if you imagine a small things, he said, well, I'm, I'm bigger than that. Or if you imagine, imagine something huge, that, that if you dream something so big that no one else can even embrace it, and you're not even sure yourself, God's looking down and said, I'm immeasurably bigger than that. That's the kind of God we serve. So when we dream and, and when we imagine and we, we say, God, what do you want for my life? And he says, use your imagination. Think big. D don't think small things. Don't dream small things, but dream big things. And if they happen, so if, great. If they don't happen, so be it. But don't dishonor God with small thinking. Impossible you see, is just an illusion with God. God can do all things. The Bible says that with God, nothing is impossible. Do we need to repent of small dreams and trying to serve a small God? Do we need to repent? 
Do, do we need to repent of unbelief and the possibility of whatever it is you're dreaming about? The Wright brothers had to repent of unbelief in human flight. What do you need to repent of unbelief in? God's been saying, you can do this, you can do that. Maybe since the time you were a kid and we're busy arguing with God, it, it might be time for a few of us. And as I've been reading and studying and, 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 and reading through Scripture, God has really been convicting me, saying, Randon, why would you think I couldn't do that? Well, God, I didn't mean to think you couldn't do it. I just meant to say I couldn't do it. He's saying, but it's not all about you because I can do immeasurably more than anything you ask and imagine. Here's the thing I re realized, that chasing dreams starts with chasing the dream giver. That's where it all begins. If we're going to realize our dreams in our life, and that's what the, obviously this series is all about, is dreaming again and, and chasing those dreams and chasing the lions in our lives. It starts, though, with knowing the dream giver. There's three things today you need to know about the dream giver, the dream giver being God. Number one is this, God is a dreamer. God's a dreamer. How do we know that God is a dreamer? I'll tell you why. Man, as, as men and women, we are dreamers. We are made in the image of God. And if we're, if we're dream, dreamers and we are made in the image of God, then God is a dreamer. If, if that's what's in us, it came from Him. God is a dreamer. In fact, I'm convinced of this. If your dream is simply a dream within a dream. We are God's original dream. He sat down and he said, I want to design a world, a creation. I want to, I'm going to dream this thing up. And he figured out how to throw the stars in the skies. And he figured out how to separate the, 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 the land from the sea and the sky from the earth. And, and he started creating animals and forming fish in the sea and birds in the air. And then he looked down and he said, man, this has been a great dream and I like it, but it's missing something. And you know what he did? He dreamt up you and I. He stepped down into the earth and he began to scoop up the mud and the dirt and the clay and he began to form. And he said, no, I don't like that look. And he, and he changed it again. He said, no, that's not really what I'm thinking of. And he went and he worked all the way down and suddenly he breathed life into his dream, into his creation and he called him Adam. You are God's dream. The Bible teaches us that God knew us before we were ever formed in his mother's womb. He had plans and thoughts and ideas for us. When he thought about you, he dreamt up a great plan. He dreamt up a great life. And he inserted you into the perfect place in human history and the perfect place in culture and in our world. And you thought everything was against you. And God was saying, no, no, no. I'm just trying to use that as the framework of the dream in which I want you to live and do great things. God dreamt all this up and set you right in the middle of it. You are God's dream. He is a dreamer. You serve a God who is a dreamer. He said to Adam, I want you to fill the earth and subdue it. I want you to take dominion. I want you to go out. Adam wasn't made just to live in the garden. He was made to fill the earth. He was made to go accomplish things. He was made to go uh, chase dreams. He was made to go out and, and, and pioneer. He was made to spread out across the earth. Think about that. God is saying, listen, 
go out there and do something fun, do something great, do something new. Every time you chase a new dream in your life, every time you go on a new journey in your life, every time you go down a new path and, and try to discover something about yourself or your family or your world, you are doing what God called you to do. You are chasing dreams that God called you to chase. He said, Adam, I want you to do this for me too. He said, I created the animals, but here's what, I'm going to let you be a part of it. You get to name them anything you can dream up. Duck-billed platypus. Right? Cow. Like, were you just lazy at that point? Cow. <laughs> no, like... You get to name all the animals, you can, whatever you can dream up. He was putting into man from the very first day, I want you to imagine things and I want you to dream things. He made us to be builders. He made us to be explorers. And we have been doing it for thousands of years. We serve a God who is a dreamer. He designed you to dream I believe when you're chasing your dreams, this is, this is what I believe. I believe that God is leaning over the balcony of heaven, and the first thing he's doing is he is cheering you on. Cheering you on. And he's shouting, saying, yeah, you can do it. Ooh, that hurt a little bit. But get back up. You can do it. And he is, he is like, like a, a crowd at a World Series game or a Super Bowl event, cheering and shouting. He's got all the angels gathered around. He's like, hey, 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 come watch this. This is one of my kids. He's a dreamer boy, I'm going to tell you. And he is chasing that lion down. Watch. He's, this is about to happen for him. He's so close, he doesn't even know it. And he looks down and he says, hey, hey, I need a few angels. Gabriel, I need you to get me a fleet of angels. He's coming up on a problem here and he's going to need some help. Get down there right now and go in advance of all the problems and I want you to begin working things out on his behalf. He says, hey, to the Holy Spirit, you're down there, you're working in his life. I want you to be, I want you to be his comforter and I want you to be his guide because as he chases these big dreams, he's going to need your help along the way. So he sends the helper to be with us. You see, dreams give our faith a target. They give your faith a target. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I love that word substance there. It's something you can grab a hold to. You see, you can say, well, I just believe that, that God has big things for me in my life. But there's not much to grab a hold to, right? There's nothing you can set your faith on. There's nothing you can really see. It's just that, well, God has big things. Well, what in the world are big things? When we start dreaming, those big things, you, you, you can start coloring in the lines. And a picture starts to form. And now you start saying, you know what? I have faith Then that can happen. Here's the beauty of it. The Bible teaches that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without giving your faith something to hold on to, a substance, an idea, something to grab a hold to, then faith is of no use. So we turn our faith towards a dream, towards an idea, towards an invention, towards a possibility. And we say, God, that's it. And we turn our faith towards it. And suddenly, God starts to move on our behalf. Why? Because we're unleashing faith on our dream. God is a dreamer. He's a dreamer. Second thing I want you to know about God is this, and, and know about the, the dream giver is this, that dreams are a part of the language of the Holy Spirit. This is part of how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Consider these verses, Acts chapter 2, verse 17 through 21. Let's put it in context here. 
Jesus has been, he's died and he's already been resurrected. He's been gone. And now the Holy Spirit has just been poured out for the very first time on the, on the apostles and the people gathered around, 120 people or so. And, and they're gathered around and suddenly they're speaking in tongues and there's divided flames of fire on top of their head. And the world is amazed. People think they're drunk. And yet Peter steps out and he says these words. And he begins to quote the prophet Joel. I love this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. The question is, if I were to say that God is pouring out his spirit, what would you think that looked like? There are a lot of different answers. Most everybody in this room might have a different answer to one degree or the other. But here's what the prophet Joel said it would look like. And here's what the apostle Peter said it would look like. He said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. They'll speak things into being that are not currently into being. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Now we're going to focus on these, but let's keep reading through this prophecy. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. So he's saying, listen, it it doesn't matter. We're going to break down all generations, all uh, ethnicities, all gender. It doesn't matter. God's going to pour out his spirit on everyone. This is an incredible, incredible prophecy because at the time, Peter, who's quoting this, only believed it was for the Jews. And yet he's prophesying, even before he believed it, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on the Gentiles, me and you. And they will prophesy. Even the Gentiles can prophesy. This is a big statement. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below and blood and fire and clouds of smoke. So you're going to see all kind of incredible signs happening on the earth. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. And I love this verse. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love at the end, the whole the point of God pouring out his spirit is this. The end result is people are saved. Whatever else is going on. People are saved. So, let's go back here. First, he said, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. This is, this is something unique. Now, I want you to step back from the specifics of what he's saying, who will do each one. And I want you to look at um, kind of an overarching view on what God is saying to us here. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. So, Sons and daughters, young men, young women, kids, if you will, who have not seen much of the world yet. They've only seen some things. Now, old men may have traveled the world. They may have seen all types of things. And so when they prophesy, they may actually be speaking things that they have already seen. But the sons and daughters, the kids, haven't seen anything. So they are totally reliant upon the Holy Spirit to speak through them, to prophesy things that have never been seen before. Are you tracking with me? So here's what, I, here's what I, the, the word here is. When he pours out his spirit, one of the things God wants to do is he wants to uh, speak through people who don't have the ability to know it on their own. He's going to give you the ability that, to do things that are seeming, when you are seemingly powerless, you're going to have a supernatural ability to speak things into existence that you may never have seen before. Verse 17, we keep going. Your young men will see visions. So again, young men, they haven't traveled the whole world. They haven't seen everything. 
But he said, I'm going to give you the ability to envision things. You close your eyes and you see things you've never seen before. You see it done in ways that you've never done it before. So the kids are going to prophesy. They're going to speak it to existence. They don't even know what they're talking about. But the young men, you're going to see visions. Now this is important because the Bible, and we'll talk about this later in our series, says in Habakkuk that we have to write the vision and make it plain so that he may run who reads it. So this takes it beyond just words. This gives us something that we can act on now. So it says, I'm going to give you the ability to envision things that you haven't seen other places. I'm going to give you new creativity, bold, new ideas, new visions, and it's going to have people around you, including you, can run with it and get something done. Number three, your old men will dream dreams. Now, I love this one, and and some of you in this room are really going to like this one. In those days, once you reached a certain age, and even today, it's like, well, I'm just going into retirement, I'm just waiting this thing out until the Lord takes me home. I've accomplished my dreams. I'm out of time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the funds. I don't have the want to. I don't have the drive. I'm no longer dreaming. If you're in this room today and you're in a place where you've kind of given up dreaming, this verse is for you. Because here's what he's saying. Your old men who shouldn't be dreaming, who should have already done whatever they were going to do in their life, I'm going to give them the ability to dream again. Pastor Randy, you don't understand the failure I've gone through in my life. You don't think, I understand that I've tried and it didn't work out. No worries. Here's what God is speaking of you. I'm pouring out my spirit on you. My Holy Spirit's going to speak to you in such a way that you get to dream again. Can I speak that word over your life? Dream again. Dream again. Go for it again. You may have thought that God has never moved in your life, but when you had that childhood dream, God was there. When you envisioned starting that new business, he was there. When you dreamt of going back to school, God was right there with you. When you were making plans to build your own home and what that would be like, God was right there with you. When you were thinking about writing a book, God was right there with you. Whatever it is you dreamed of, God was right there with you. And he's saying, he's cheering you on, yeah, go for it. You can do that. You can do that because all you've got to ask and imagine, and I'm more than enough to take care of it. Dream again. Dreams are the language of the Holy Spirit. Dream, envision, prophesy, speak it into existence. You know what? I don't just speak in tongues in my private life for sport. I do it because when my brain can't wrap itself around the dream because it's too big, my, my Holy Spirit inside of me prays and it, and it declares the word of God over my life and it is speaking things into existence that I can't even comprehend yet because it's too big for me. But God is saying, no, 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 Raymond, I've got even bigger things for you. Dreams are the language of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you never stop dreaming, for it may just be, if you stop dreaming, it may just be that you stop listening to the Holy Spirit. You see, often he speaks to me in a still, small voice, but more often than not, he speaks to people, dreams and visions, prophecies. Don't stop dreaming. I have have a lot of dreams in my life. Would you like to hear a few of them? Sure? Okay, that's what I thought. So, so this is my, a part of my bucket list. I, I'm not going to tell you everything on my bucket list because you've got to be careful who you share everything, all your dreams with. Okay? I have some personal ones. I, I want to climb a mountain. And I don't mean like the overpass out here. 
uh, I've, I've hiked up some really tall mountains and that was fun, but I want to like climb a mountain where you have to have like the gear and the, and the, the guide. I, I need an ice pick, an ice, uh, you know, an ice. I don't know what I'm going to, an ice hammer, you know what I'm saying? I don't really know what I'm going to do with it. I just need it. And if I don't have one, then it doesn't count as a big enough mountain. Now, I'm not trying to go climb like Mount Everest or anything like that. No, I don't, I don't want to come back with like one ear gone from frostbite and you know, you hear the, read the stories about people dying up there. No, I'm not trying to die because I got a lot more dreams, but I do want to climb a mountain. Like, I, I mean, I want to, I want to like sleep in the tent with the wind blowing at the top of the mountain. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, no, I'm, I'm in. I, I want to, I want to, and I've said, I want to finish and publish my first book. I've started two, haven't got past chapter three. <laughs> If you put them together, I think I have five chapters, but they're, they're opposite subjects. So what I need to do is, is finish and publish my, my first book. I don't know if anyone will read it. I think a few of you love me enough that you would buy it. You may set it on your shelf and say, yeah, Pastor Randy, we'll read it. But, but uh, that's okay. Just the fact that when you walk through and you see a book that you wrote, something that God placed in your heart, and man, I, I think that would be incredible. You know, we have a lot of writers in this church uh, that have written and published books, and I'm so proud of every one of you. You inspire me inspire me. Yeah. I have a lot of, for my, my marriage and my family, I, I want to see my kids grow up and follow God. And as you know, in today's world, that's a big dream. But I'm doing everything that I can to give my kids the best opportunity they have to follow God. And, and as a counterpart to that, I want them to both marry great godly people that I love. I mean, if they love them, that's a bonus, but I want to love them. <laughs> Is that all right, Lindsay? Okay. I want to help them discover their destiny and fulfill it. I want to help them dream. Like, I, the only thing that might be better than fulfilling my dreams would be my kids' fulfilling their dreams, and my grandkids fulfilling their dreams. I, I want to see that. I, I want to take uh, my son, and I want to visit every major league ballpark in this country. It's going to take me a while. He's going to have to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to a World Series. I had a chance a few years ago, back in 05, when the Astros were in the World Series. And at the time, I just had a kid. I was broke. I was a youth pastor. I didn't have any money. The tickets were like 250 bucks, And that just seemed like a fortune to me. And I thought for sure the Astros would be back again very soon. <laughs> this is our year, though, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to the World Series, Lindsay, so I'm putting money away right now. I want to I take my son uh, uh, horseback riding and backpacking through the mountains. You've heard me tell stories about really I had so much fun and marked me, and I want to take him doing that. I, I want to take... Next, in January, next January, Lindsay and I celebrate 15 years of marriage, and I want to say, yeah, don't clap, we ain't made it yet, so it's just, <laughs> there's a lot of time between here and there. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, I want to take my wife, <laughs> that's not right, okay, uh, I'm sorry, I want to take my wife to Hawaii on our 15th anniversary, that's what I want to do. Now. The, the problem is the next one is at odds with that because I also want to be debt-free. And so the problem is I want a Hawaiian vacation on a Crystal Beach budget, if you know what I'm saying. 
<laughs> I don't know if you can relate or not. Uh, so, so the Lord's going to have to help me there. Um, <laughs> Uh, I have some incredible ministry goals, and I won't tell them all to you, uh, but they involve this church, this campus, and, and, our, and all of our other campuses. I want to build another campus. I believe that, that we're supposed to have another campus, and I think I know where that's at. Um, I want to impact a nation with missions, and as you know, that, and you, you've seen earlier this year on our video, we're able to help so many nations around the world, but one of my dreams would not be not to stop doing that, but in addition to really adopt a nation and plant roots there and build um, a triumph church there, a ministry training center, an orphanage, um, and whatever else is needed to really impact that country. And, and I'd like to take you there every year and, and let's go impart into an, another nation. And when, when we're gone many years from now, we can look back and that we will have left a visible mark. We'll have a stake in the ground. I would like to do that. I, I want to build a home for sex trafficking victims and battered women and children. I don't know how to do that right now, but I want to do that. Um, I want to build an army of young men, men and women who are gifted and equipped to impact the world for the kingdom of God. Um, and then I want to build uh, a ministry, and we're already working on this, that raises up kings and business leaders and helps them grow faster than they could have done, gone, grown on their own and helps them understand how uh, the kingdom of God works and how he wants to work in their life and business and how he wants to use them. So those are some of the things on my bucket list. I don't know if you have a bucket list, but I encourage you to get one dream again. And when you check one thing off, don't, don't just shorten the list. Add more to it. Add something more to it. I wonder, is the energy we spend on criticism, criticizing other people's ideas and other people's way, is that being stolen from the energy we have that we could spend on creativity? Just, I mean, just think about that for a second. Uh, you know, think about your social media. Think about your, your, your conversations with the people in your world. Do we spend more time on criticism than we do on creativity? If you don't like it, write a better book, start a better business, uh, run a better campaign, produce a better movie, do something different. If you, I instead of criticizing the world, you go out and dream it and do it. Number three, God knows that epic stories require epic conflicts. Think about every great story you've ever heard, ever read, every great movie you've ever seen. The greater the story, the more epic the story, and the more epic the movie, the more epic, the greater the conflict and the battle. No great story is ever written without a great conflict. We accept that when it comes to movies that we watch or stories that we read in scripture, but when it comes to our own life, we want the epic story and the epic ending without the epic conflict. There's called inciting incidents, inciting incidents, something that, that changes the course, something that causes conflict and forces a hero to be born, forces a dream to, be, uh, to come into reality, cultivates character. It makes for a great ending. For David, there was Goliath. For Benaiah, he had to chase a lion. For Joshua, he had to march around Jericho in silence. 
For Moses, he had to face the Red Sea. For Jesus, he had to face the cross. If you want to live an epic life, you're going to have to overcome some epic challenges, take some epic risks, and make some epic sacrifices. Two basic types of inciting incidences. The turning point, the tipping point, the the point of no return. One is that things that happen to you that you cannot control. The second is things you make happen that you can control. So there are two types. Sometimes you did it and sometimes you didn't do it. But the question is not what happened or which one it is. The question is how do you respond to that moment? Some are perceived as positive, some are negative. Pastor Mark Batterson said it like this. Mismanaged success is the leading cause of failure. Well-managed failure is the leading cause of success. It's not about what happened. It's not even about what you did. It's about what you did next. It's about what you did in response. Did you jump into the pit with a lion or did you run the other way? Don't curse God and everyone around you for the epic conflicts in your life and the inciting incidents in your life. Instead, ask God, what lion do I need to chase, dream again, and go after it? Don't insult God with small thinking. I want to close with this. It's the Lion Chaser's Manifesto. The Lion Chaser's Manifesto. Can I read this to you? It's a a commitment, something to live by. Quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Run to the roar. Set God-sized goal. Pursue God-given passions. Stop pointing out problems and become part of the solution. Stop repeating the past and start creating your future. Face your fears. Fight for your dreams. Grab opportunity by the main and don't let go. Live like today is the first day and the last day of your life. Burn sinful bridges, but blaze new trails. Live for the applause of nail-scarred hands. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Dare to fail. Dare to be different. Quit holding out. Quit holding back. Quit running away and chase the lion. I want to challenge you in your life. Figure out what the lion is. Figure out what the dream is and go after it. Don't stop dreaming. Don't stop believing. Don't stop envisioning. Don't stop prophesying because that's the way God designed you. That's the way he is and he put that in you. And you are never more like God than when you are dreaming and chasing lions and chasing dreams because that's what he did when he created you. Dream. Again, I want to pray over you and ask you questions. Number one, have you stopped dreaming? Maybe because you accomplished them all. Maybe because you failed so many times. Maybe because you just thought it would never happen. Maybe because of fear. You stopped chasing dreams, stopped chasing lines. I want to challenge you, dream again. We'll talk more about how to do this, and I'm excited to share with you some real steps from the Word of God about how we can dream again. But, but start, when you go to sleep tonight, say, God, while I sleep, I want to dream something from you. Not just dream about jumping into a pit with a lion and waking up in a cold sweat, but God, speak to me. Insert it into my mind, into my subconscious while I'm sleeping. And when I wake up, let there be something burning inside of me. Dream 
again. Second thing I want to do is pray for those who are right in the middle of an epic conflict. You say, Pastor Ryan, and I've been trying to chase my dreams. I've been trying to start this business. I've been trying to go back to school. I've been trying to educate myself and get that promotion. I've been trying to figure out how to get out of debt. I've been trying to figure out how to write that book. I've been trying to figure out how to do this or do that. And I'm fighting battles on every side. I want to pray for you. And here's what I believe is going to happen. Circumstances in your life, the epic conflict in your life is going to move back. And God is going to step in between you and whatever is going on. Father, I thank you that you have made us dreamers in your own image. God, you dreamt every single one of us up. You created great plans and great ideas, and it is your wonderful desire. You put an imagination in us, and you gave us the ability to dream big, to imagine. So God, pour out your Spirit on us. Speak to us in the language of the Holy Spirit. Speak to us in dreams and visions and prophetic words, Lord God. And let our minds be expanded as you insert into us big things, greater things. Because God, we know it isn't about us alone, but you are able to do immeasurably more than we ask or even imagine. That's the kind of God you are. So help us to dream again. Speak to us, God. For those, Lord, that are in the middle of an epic conflict right now, Lord, let them know that their epic story has an epic ending and you are right there with them. So move back the circumstances. Move back our enemy. Quiet the voices around us that are saying we can't and we shouldn't and we'll never be and you always mess it up and you never get it right. Lord, quiet those voices around us now. And may you draw near to us. Speak to us. Encourage us. Guide us. Help us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.